More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. When I think about my friend Patty, a pleasant visual comes to mind of a wonderfully chatty, fun-loving, highly interesting, and well-versed fellow SLP. She loves doing therapy, and she's good at it. She's going to share her experience with a wonderful young man with a very unique voice problem. Listen and learn. You're in for a treat. Patty Fisher is my guest today. She's a speech-language pathologist in the Dayton, Cincinnati areas and an international seminar presenter. In fact, she just returned from Australia. She's been an adjunct faculty member for 12 years at Miami University in Ohio, a researcher. She completed a research project with Max Planck Institute in Germany. And she's an author, dedicated supporter, leader, and committee participant in the Ohio Speech-Language Hearing Association, where she has received several honors. She's worked in the schools and currently has her own private practice. Her interests and expertise in this field are far-reaching. Stuttering, voice, language processing, and anything that is oral mechanism-related. She has been a member of the IEOM, the International Association of Oral Facial Myology, since 2008 and became certified in 2010. She loves this field and gives back 100-fold. I'm so excited to speak with you and to learn from you all about voice therapy today, Patty. Welcome to the Speech Link. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to speak with you. I think the world of you, Shar, as well. And I, I follow all the things that you've done over the years. Um, I'm hoping that today we can share some ideas about voice and, and connect some dots between some of our different areas as well. Sure. Sounds good. Well, I know that you and I have talked a little bit, and you said that there's a growing number of voice referrals. I know that we've kind of taken a dip through the years, but what's going on there? Well, you know, I think for a while early on, we did get a lot of voice referrals for young children that had, you know, vocal nodules and that kind of thing. But as the years have gone on and education has changed, mm -hmm. especially in the schools, I think they are facing really, 
really difficult decisions because the referral may be made for boys, but they are very much linked to educational issues. And sometimes it's difficult for them to justify or to be able to recognize the need for voice therapy because it may or may not impact the educational uh, part of their um, system. So I think that's one reason. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times I think things have been that we've got voice cases being referred to hospitals. And I think that we just stepped away from voice for a a while uh, and we were getting less referrals because we had so many other things to concentrate on. And now I think there's this full circle. We've come back to realize that voice is one of the areas that represents the humans, children and adults. And it is a a very strong and very important part of our communication system. I think now people are starting to realize how it has impact on us and our everyday communications, as well as emotional issues um, in in the way people perceive us has a lot to do with our voice. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, so have you always been this interested in voice, or is this just something that's happened in the last few years? Or as I look at your biography, it looks like, I mean, you have such a varied experience and I don't see a lot of voice on there. So is this something that you have added? Where is this coming from? Well, you know, it's interesting you should ask that. I Voice was my original love. And oh. I was fortunate where I went to school um, at Bowling Green State University. I had the best uh, director. His name was Mel Hyman. He was our director. And he was... A, probably the most premier voice instructor there is. He would come into class every day singing and boom, this wonderful, rich voice. And it just always had my attention. And he was authentic in the way that he taught to us. Um, It was my first love. And he really took us down and made us keep notebooks about all different kinds of voice and how it influenced uh, different levels to children, adults. And I feel like that my had a really good experience there. And then as time went on, I went in, of course, in Asher, we have the different SIGs and I was um, a member of the voice SIG and a you know, and I was very interested in my early practice. When I first started out, I did a lot of voice therapy and I was, you know, connected to the hospital and all of my assignments were usually voice related. So that was my original love. And I spent a lot of time. uh, I was even on the uh, Ohio Voice Board. We we started some things here, and we they're still going strong. I I went into stuttering, and then into uh, other kinds of phonological mm. things. But I've come back to this recently because I had just gotten um, my degree in orofacial myology, and I, I I was studying that, and there it's got such a clear connection. Mm -hmm. And um, as 
it, you know, life kind of takes its turns. I'm kind of directed in my interest because of the cases that present themselves in my practice. And uh, particularly this one young man, uh, I, I'd like to discuss a little bit about this. Yeah. He came th- he came through the door and I had just gotten this degree in oral facial myology. But this young man had been referred to me for uh, some work because he had a tongue tie and he had a tongue release. And he was 20 years old, grown, strong handsome young man, but having this uh, tongue release, he came in after a referral for some work to get range of motion and to, you know, kind of correct some speech things. And and I was so impressed as we're working, you know, I'm taking his case history and, and the young man Oh gosh, he has had a hard time because his speech was a was never clear, and he had taken private speech therapy, and his mother had worked with him, and all his relatives had worked with him. But over all those years, and he had had his adenoids removed, he'd had surgery, and and all these different things, but no one noticed that he was tongue tied. Hmm. Wow, and. It was one of those things where when he went through the door of the dentist office and the mother had seen a special presentation about tongue tie, and she asked the dentist to take a look. And lo and behold, he was tongue tied. Yes. And and this t- this particular dentist was uh, specialized in tongue release and uh, lip release, uh, lip flap release as well. And so he was able to do that correction, but he also spent some time talking with this young man and he knew that there was something more. So he made the referral for the exercises. Um, And as this young man came through the door, here we are, we're working and doing the evaluation but it was clear as a bell that there was a connection with his voice. Oh. He, he, he he had all these problems, you know. He was having trouble with chewing and swallowing and the positioning of his mouth. But the tongue tie was had been so tight that it had affected the way his larynx didn't drop. It was too it was uncomfortable for him. Really? To allow the voice. Yes, it was a really interesting. Ah. So, of course, as soon as I'm seeing him, thinking, ah, you know, his voice. And I, I, I knew I had to go back to all my voice uh, background. And I was so yeah. glad I had that background. And uh, I did a voice assessment as well. And so I had started on the one side, looking at the articulation and the oral motor and the range of motion and realized I needed to jump over here and do the the voice part of it. So I did did a second set and did his uh, evaluation. And uh, I sent him, of course, to an otolaryngologist because I wanted to make sure that his mechanism was healthy enough to support oral motor exercises as well as vocal exercises. And when that came back, you know, we proceeded with the therapy. I have a, a few tapes uh, of that. I wonder if you'd be interested or... You know, I would be really interested, but would you just tell me just in your own words before we listen to him, 
what were the characteristics? I mean, did the child, child, ha, ha, he, he was an older, older young man, correct? Yes, this is a 20-year-old, almost 21-year-old young man. Okay, yes. all right, so he was older. What was his voice like? I mean, you know, characteristically, I'm thinking, okay, horse, but maybe not. Was it, was there a pitch issue? Was there a volume issue? You know, what, just in your own words, what did you hear that kind of alerted you to this? You know, when he came in, here is this grown young man, and he's 6'2", and he was very attractive and, you know, engaging, but he his voice was soft and very weak, hmm. and his, pit, his pitch was high, hmm. but... You know, and it, it just, it was an effort to hear him talk at all. And I'm thinking, how's this young man, this very well-developed, handsome young man, managing with a voice that's so soft and weak? And, and it was it was something you couldn't, especially for those of us who study voice, you just could hardly miss it. And yet, he had never really had voice therapy or any kind of intervention at all. Yeah. And thinking about the tongue release, he just had the tongue release. So he himself and, and, and his family, all they wanted, and understandably, they wanted just range of motion and to correct the articulation errors. So you said that he, that it was his voice itself was very soft, so low volume very kind of difficult to hear. Was it effortful for him to talk? I mean, could he not push, you know, you know what I'm saying, push through? Or what was going on? Well, that's, that's interesting. He could actually achieve some louder tones and occasionally get a little bit lower, fuller tone, but he couldn't maintain it. Ah. He just couldn't because, you know, it was such a strain and having that tight tongue and everything it would the effort was just unbelievable i think what i'll do is i'll play and you'll all have to listen very carefully and keep in mind this is a fully grown 21 almost 21 year old young man six foot two very well developed and this is the best voice he could give me Emma Oliver is approximately 11 years old. As many other adolescent girls, Emma is openly concerned about her appearance. Every afternoon, Emma asks to be excused to the ladies' room to ensure that everything is just so. It is unacceptable not to be one of the in-crowd, and being attractive assures your inclusion. Even at the early age of 11, a girl allows herself to be influenced by others. Emma's mother always asks her, why is it so important to be like everyone else? It just is. You wouldn't understand because you were old, answers Emma. At age 11, anyone over 30 is old. Now that's his voice. And it's it's kind of hard to hear. I hope people can hear that. But it almost sounds like a, a female talking. I certainly, in my mind, I'm not picturing a tall 20-year-old man. And then after some therapy and some work, that he was seen, this was about um, after 10 visits, what he sounded like. Ah. Emma Oliver is approximately 11 years old. As many other adolescent girls, 
Emma is overly concerned about her appearance. Every afternoon, Emma asks to be excused to the ladies' room to ensure that everything is just so. It is unacceptable not to be one of the in-crowd, and being attractive assures your inclusion. Even at the early age of 11, a girl allows herself to be influenced by others. Emma's mother always asks her, why is it so important to be like everyone else? It just is. You want to understand because you're old, answers Emma. At age 11, anyone over 30 is old. Wow. Now I'm just going to go back one time, just real quickly, to the original. Emma Oliver is approximately 11 years old. As many other adolescent girls, Emma is openly concerned about her appearance every afternoon. And I'm, I'm leaving that at that so because I'd like you to, to ponder the difference in his voice. Yes, the difference is amazing. We obviously cannot see this young man, but you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, I can hear just an, an amazing contrast to the loudness, to the pitch level, to his range of speaking. I mean, he's getting into the dramatics, you know, on that second one. You can just tell that even speaking for him is probably more pleasurable. It was a remarkable experience to be with this young man. He's so talented and so bright and so articulate. He has written lots of his own poetry and uh, lots of uh, articles and things that he's never shared with anyone because he didn't have a voice to share them. And it was really interesting to get to know him in the therapy. And therapy-wise, he... It's different when you're dealing with the person of this age. They are willing to do the things that you ask them to do as far as, you know, I'm going to need you to go into the medium range. I don't want you to, to eat or drink things that are too hot or too cold because I don't want you to shock your vocal cords. Um, he was compliant to that. I would ask him, you know, I want you to try to think of everything as medium. I don't want anything too high or too low. I want you to always think of just medium and make your goal that medium so that he could start to relax into it. And we would do exercises. Originally, of course, I did a lot of the exercises with chewing and eating to get him to swallow correctly. And when you swallow, at the very end of your swallow, the larynx goes into the correct position of where it should be for rest. Mm -hmm. And so he would be in the right position at the end of his swallow, and then I would try to help him understand and be able to start off his speaking at that position. It gave him a, a uh, target and, and a place that he could measure and something that you have with you no matter where you go. You're going to swallow eventually, and, uh, and then he would know where he should have his larynx and what it should feel like. Um, we used a lot of exercises, of course, from when I was in Bowling Green with Dr. Hyman. And uh, and one of the things I give for Dr. Hyman's approach, he always would encourage us to use our clinical judgment as far as, you know, can you teach 
the client to recognize his own voice and to recognize the difference between the voice that they're using and the voice that they are hoping to have and, and to identify authentic voice. And um, that was very helpful, especially with this young man, because he really wanted to have a voice that was a little more powerful and represented himself a little bit more um, positively. Uh, and, and he didn't see himself as uh, a thin, weak person. He saw himself as fully developed and strong. And that's what happened. And it was really interesting because as he did his exercises, and I used a lot of the uh, exercises that you might find from the Ash's website about like the yon sigh or the uh, resonant voice therapy, in, intonation voice therapy. Um, I'm also a big fan of Dr. Joe Stemple, and, and I read everything he has. I think it would be worth worth it for people to go through those exercises as well. Um, I use parts of them. I don't use everything step by step. I'm not a cookbook therapist. I'm a where you are and what you need therapist. So I, I admit that I use some from each different um, approach and I find that worked better. And it always has worked better for my voice clients. Um, I, I'm hoping that that gives you an idea of how much, I mean, we did a range of things to help him. Char Beauchard here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no, their plans start at $89 a year for heaven's sake. And then I I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. You know, I keep thinking in the back of my mind about you saying that his larynx didn't drop. Is that what happens you know, when the kids turn 13, 14? Is that physically what happens when there are, quotes, voice changes and his didn't? 
So he always kind of sounded in that manner that we heard. I do think that's what happened. I think, you know, when we grow, you know, and the larynx grows, particularly, and they go through that change, the larynx itself gets larger and, you know, you drop and it relaxes the cords and you have thicker cords, of course, in the masculine uh, mechanism. And so I, I don't think that he could... I don't think that he could do that. I think he, because of the tongue tie being so tight, I think he might have tried everything that he could think of to do it. It's just he wasn't able to do it and maintain it. I think he could stretch for short periods of time, but I just don't think he could okay. do it. And, and you can see as you listen to his tape how when he enjoys um, doing like, almost theater kinds of things and reading yeah. things with expression. And, and I think that he, you know, if he could have been playing a character uh, and made this happen for himself, I think it would have happened. Yeah. I, I think he would have been able to, because this is the kind of personality he has and he has a lot of strengths, but I just don't think physically that was ever, um, going to be able to be achieved for him. He described to me in the course of our therapy how hard it was to grow up with this voice because people made fun of him and they would say things. Um, they'd call him ma'am. Oh, no. He said it wasn't until he was actually 20 after the procedure and then after we started our, our therapy that he was called sir for the first time. Really? Oh, my gosh. It, it's... That would be hard. Um, he he would order uh, like lunch or something, and, and then the drive through. And when he would come around, they they would be referring to him as ma'am, and then they'd look at him, realizing that he wasn't. And and you know it. That's a hard place to be. Oh, yeah. You know you're. And he was reading everyone's expression as you know. Wait a minute. This doesn't fit. And, and so he didn't have his authentic voice. You know, he wanted and needed, you know, a, to be able to use the whole mechanism correctly. Um, and the one thing that I want to give credit to is that referring dentist. And he was an exception. And I'm not sure that every um, field has people like this, but this was almost in my eyes, a hero. Yeah. Uh, this dentist looked at him and he knew something wasn't right and he referred him, but that wasn't the end of it. I sent uh, him the reports. I sent him first the, the oral motor, um, an oral facial evaluation and told him he was right. We needed range of motion and, and that. And then I sent him the follow-up with the voice evaluation, which prompted him to get on the phone. And he called me and he said, um, I'd like to come down and see a little bit of the therapy. Wow. So he came, to, yeah. <laughs> and he came to watch the therapy of this young man and sat there for a half day. And you know, that's pretty unusual to take oh. a whole half day of your time. Yeah. Watch that therapy. And then he said to me at the end, he was so grateful. He says, you know, because so often when you do a tongue release or you do something, you know, that's the end of it. You don't get to see what happens. And, you know, it's almost, and it is true. You do your job and you do your job well, 
but the patient goes out the door and you're just wishing them good luck. And, you know, and this dentist said, he says, I knew in my heart, this is more than a tongue. This is a whole person. Mm-hmm. And isn't that, I think in my mind that that's a hero. That's exactly. the kind of professional I want to be, that I yeah. care enough to do my job and then to make sure that they get into the hands of someone else who can help them the rest of the way. Yes. So it does speak well, I think, that uh, he was interested in this his patient and he followed up and he wanted to make sure that he got the help that he needed. I think that we're seeing more and more uh, uh, people become a little bit more involved and understand. And voice is one of the areas of our, our field where you can really change a person's life. I think about this young man and I think... Gosh, you know, with the voice he had, yes, he could communicate and it was okay. But since he's been able to change his voice to where it's more comfortable, he's gotten uh, a promotion in his job. He's been given more authority. He's He wants to uh, share some of his poetry and writing, and he's thinking of trying out for community theater. And he's uh, participating in his church group, a youth group, a little bit more. I. I think, wow, you know, what a change for him. Oh, that's wonderful. And that happened, you said, over the course of 10 sessions. Was that once or twice a week or how over what period of time? Yeah, he came in, let's say, at the beginning of December, and he's just finished in at the end of May. Altogether, I think he had... um, it was close to 20 sessions altogether. Okay. But the change of the voice was from the second day reading that you had to actually altogether there was 11 sessions in between there. Okay. So that, that voice changed. But it even as you're changing, now maintaining it, he needed the additional time to try to transfer it into every day and to to use it. Um, and he did some things that I thought was really interesting, and I'm sure any voice teacher would love. He decided to use his voice to go around and interview people, and he used his phone. And he would interview people that were in his youth group or interview people that he was working with in, on the job to see how they liked his new voice <laughs> and, and what they thought. And he would bring that to therapy. And it was it was hysterical, really, because there were some people that would say, oh, I liked it the way before. You know, you had that little voice or and that were pe- there were people that he had known a long time who would say initially I didn't like it. But now that I've gotten used to it, it, it sounds like you. it sounds like you were supposed to always be talking that way. So, yeah, it, it was it was a very interesting case. And I think that. The point of the whole thing is that at his age, voice therapy is different. It's a much different ball game than if it's a young child. And I'm, I, I'm thinking about. I, I still see a lot of young children with voice problems and um, get a lot of referrals for them. And they have a harder way to go because so often when you're seeing young kids. It is because um, maybe they are doing some things, some yelling and screaming and, right. you know, playground shenanigans and stuff. And <laughs> who wants who wants to give up all that fun <laughs> yeah. uh, to be quiet and heal up? I mean, let's, you know, it's much harder and it's harder for them to understand. 
I think the you know bigger picture, right. what's going to happen when I want a job or that kind of thing. So I, I was thinking how lucky we were to get this young man uh, and what a difference. I'm sure that a lot of the people that are listening here are thinking, yeah, easy to say about someone at his age, but not so easy for, you know, our younger people. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I wonder, you know, we kind of talked briefly about him and his softness, his his low volume, and, you know, he didn't push and maintain that that effort, you know, over time. And I'm thinking maybe he could have done some vocal fold damage. He could have really generated some major pathological issues, and but he didn't. He didn't push through that quiet time. Exactly. And that's what made the difference, I think, in his, his therapy. It, the cooperation was good because he did what I asked and, and some of the suggestions, but he also didn't overdo or over push. And he, you know, the interesting part, again, I go back to the original therapies, getting him to understand and listen for, you know, I don't know if you remember this. I'm, I'm going to go back and probably date myself, but I remember the original therapy goals that we used to all adhere to. I don't know if any, this will be, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that there were original therapy goals, but there were certain things that we all adhered to as far as like getting someone to listen for the, the voice and, um, Let's see. How did we say it? We would always look to try to develop their their awareness of their own voice. And he, he followed that clearly, and he could do that. And then our second goal was always to develop the concept of a better voice or a different voice so that they could identify that there was something other than themselves. The third thing that we'd always try to put into a voice therapy was – to differentiate between um, effortful speech and efficient vocal production. And that was always the hardest one. And this is the thing that this young man could do better than any. He understood not to put that effort and that force behind it. And that that pushed us in therapy so much faster. And then the fourth goal we always had was to modify or learn our efficient habits. Well, once I was able to show him that he had a falsetto voice and he had a real vocal voice, um, we used to call it habitual and optimum levels. Um, the biggest point was that he understood what his habitual level was as opposed to what his potential was and so he once he was able to do that everything was so much easier and then how to maintain see he picked up the ball on that one how to maintain was you know using it with as many opportunities as he could and what he did was because he had the phone he could tape record it and that was a constant reminder to him if he heard it wrong he would change it and if it and every morning he would say you know record his message on his voice uh you know for the day and if that voice didn't match the uh, image he had in his mind of what his voice should be he would change it and you know I, I, and so in a lot of ways 
we're better off today than we've ever been because they do have those. Now we have technology, the, right. the phone, the iPhone can record your voice right here, right now. And, and, and you have immediate feedback. I think therapists can be using that um, more uh, of what I had for years when I first started, of course, is a tape recorder. And I'm not sure very many people even know what a tape recorder is today. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so, you, you know, I'm just thinking about you know, advantages and disadvantages that we have. And I, I just I think that made a difference. And I, I really I, I I do think this particular case is one that ties together so many fields. I look at it, you know, here's medical field, you know, the tongue release and being there in the medical hands, then coming into our field or, you know, for the oral facial and the range of motion and, you know, swallow eating and using all the musculation correctly, getting the larynx to be in the right position, moving into the voice and figuring out how the voice is connected to the swallow and is connected to the positioning of of the larynx. And then, you know, making sure that we have the otolaryngologist check and work with us so that we have the complete package. And then the success of being able to use all those components. Um, This, but that's, it's funny how that evolved because I don't think I, would have ever connected it on my own had I not had this this wonderful patient that walked me through it and showed me that opened the doors, you know? Well, yeah, you know, I don't think I would have recognized it either, Patty. So, okay, I, I'm going to get back to the larynx piece. How do you know if it dropped? Because of the pitch? How do you get it to do that? I mean, was it a conscious effort that you had him do? I mean, what do you do? Take me back to those days when that was your focus. Well, as we were doing, as we started our exercises, and I was doing an old exercise that I actually developed where you go through the um, the voice. You start with non-voice, and it's just air through the, the vocal folds. And then you add in some uh, phonation along with nasal sounds, such as an M, and then you go into the vowel. Demonstrate. Tell me. So it would be like you would your sound. It also I have them pretend that they're falling out of an airplane with a, a parachute that opens, and so you're coming down easy through the clouds. So it sounds like this. Um, so you're getting it breathy. There's nothing you know, harsh about it. Now I'm doing it lower and I did it lower intentionally for him so that his target would be to kind of do that. And as he was doing this, we go through the vowels. So I'll do one set for you. through this and they're working with you then you move to just with the h 
in the vowel and then the M in the vowel and then just the vowels. So you're slowly but steadily moving toward engaging closure of the focal folds. And as I'm doing that with him, I'm auditorily influencing him for a lower pitch. I'm also kinesthetically influencing him because that image of falling out and having the parachute and floating down is, you know, the feedback is relaxed and that kind of thing. And then I I helped him by, I had physically just gone along the outside of his throat to show him where his larynx rests at the end of his swallow. So So he knew what the target was. And then he, he was putting his own hand there and he would feel that. And then he would feel the vibration of the chords, you know, and he knew. And he could, he could auditorily hear this as well. So, and that, strangely enough, he had that mm, by the fourth session. He was able to give you that. But he couldn't maintain it, of course, because he wasn't used to it. But does that give you an idea of how? I can envision that. I mean, that gives me a visual image. I can feel myself relaxing, which, of course, I would think is what you want. Right, right. So because nothing's going to move <laughs> if, it, if there's tension down there. And, and another point that we did, I always start these exercises, and they're usually laying down oh. so that there's no other muscle involvement. If you're standing or sitting, you have to use your diaphragm and you have to use different parts of the muscles. If you're laying down and you're just breathing diaphragmatically, there's nothing else that has to be engaged. Interesting. So that that allows him to completely relax. Yes. And uh, then after they've gotten that, we go to a standing position, which I think has the least amount of stress on the mechanism. And then finally to sit, being able to do it while you're sitting. Um, it did see, it, he didn't need to do it long there. And, and it was very comfortable for him. He said, because he could go home and just before falling asleep, he just kind of do his warm ups and just think about this. And, and he'd do it when he'd wake up. He said that was, I was already, you know, kind of ready for the practice. So, um, it, 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 it's, I think a good technique to take all the other possible, uh, things that could get in the way of them using the right uh, muscle. And this the way he wasn't forcing anything. It was a very natural. Oh, that makes so much sense. You know, that young man was so fortunate to find you, fortunate to find that dentist and the doctor. I mean, his life literally began at 20. You know, yeah, that's really what he says too, and uh, he's brought he brings his friends into therapy, which <laughs> really? now, or, or at the at the end of therapy, he'll every time he was coming, he was bringing a different friend because those friends wanted to know who was the person that helped you do this. And they, uh, and I think that's interesting. You know, be, that's the other key I think in being successful in therapy. If you have a support system and someone else is there rooting on for you, like your best friends, and they're willing to come in and say, hey, good job, that that makes a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it sure does. He sounds like a very balanced person. 
He made it through the adversity. I mean, there's your voice is really a picture of who you are. I mean, usually. And to go through 20 years of that same vocal range had to be devastating. But now, I mean, it's like the floodgates have opened and he's living life. And that's absolutely wonderful. It is. And, you know, you said it so beautifully. Our voice does represent us when we're not there. Think of how many times you're talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. and You're not there, but your voice represents you. And it tells um, whether you're sad or happy. It tells, you know, a lot about you. It's your voice, uh, you know, calling to another room. It's your voice that precedes you, you know, in a lot of life experiences. And we don't think of it as representing us, but it is uh, a representation. It's one form of communication. And so often it can tell like the other person, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're angry, it just that vocal tone and the prosody and rhythm of that. We, that's another um, chart that, that I have it has to do with the diagnostic prosody scale. And I, it is one of those things where those are the unscored and unnoticed features of our vocal mechanism. Uh, you know, the, the rate, the pitch, the tone, the, the, whether it's monotone, the variation, the, the breathing, there's just all kinds of components that make up what the vo- good voice is. And um, I think in his case, boy, we found a, a good combination. He put, he has a rich, beautiful voice and it represents him well. Absolutely wonderful. I, I am just so thrilled that you brought this information to us. Oh my gosh. You know, there is one last question I would like to ask you. And I didn't prep you on this, Patty, but I think this is something that you can answer. You, of all people that I know, have such varied and wonderful experience in our field in so many different areas. And it doesn't have to be voice, which is what we've been talking about, but is there a piece of advice or a therapy technique, something that just has impacted you that you would like to share with other people, other SLPs? Yes, I I think one of the things that I would really like to share is that, you know, and it's funny, I was just thinking about this. Um, I think that the reason I love this field so much is that I never let it get old. Um, A lot of people get into their niche and they stay there. And that's good. They're very good at what they do. But for me, I'm not sure my attention level is (laughs) normal. I've always needed something to make it more fun. And, And when I look at my field, what I did now that, that I'm old enough to look at it, yeah, I went into different areas and I studied it because I just had a passion. I needed to study and learn everything I could about voice. And then I got distracted and I remember getting so interested in stuttering and I had to, I went into that and I had to, I was in the stuttering SIG and I, I did Lidcom and I got special training there and, and I loved those people too. And they were wonderful, great mentors. And I, I, and then I got distracted by phonology Mm -hmm. 
And I started to study that and I got into their SIG and I, 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 all this information. And then darn oral facial people started to talk and I thought, well, what are they arguing about? And I got interested in that. And then I started to study and I thought, oh, wait a minute. How can anything, you know, be all of the things when I got interested in them for one reason or another, they were all in the moment of their controversy and, and people were arguing about whether it was valid or it was invalid or, you know, should we be looking at it? Was it something we should do? And I remember uh, actually two of my professors at school said to me, the one thing I will never say to you, Patty, is don't look into this or it's not good. Because as soon as, as soon as they said not to, I was into every book about it I could. And I studied everything I could to find out about it. I even went and, and, and would study with the person they would say was the questionable person to be with because I wanted to know. I have, and I've always found this to be true. If I go to any lecture or I talk with any person, if I get one new idea or a different idea, I feel like it's been a success. Yeah. And I look forward, I honest to God, look forward to every single day. I get up and I can't wait to get in to see my patients and clients because I have a new idea that I think might be helpful. And I don't know where else you can go and what else you can do. And what are in profession wise, where you can actually jump out of bed looking forward to the day and that and I have that I, I don't and I'm still grateful for that. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. Yes. Oh, I believe it. And I hear it in your voice. So from what I just heard you say, the advice is keep learning, keep growing so that you can contribute to others. And as you are contributing to others, it comes back to you. Oh, absolutely. That's the truth. Yeah. You, you, you got it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope someone else can enjoy their career as much as I have. I, I really hope that the young ones coming along and that they'll be open to this and learn. Yes. Because it, and you go home with feeling good about what you did every single day. Yes. It's a wonderful feeling. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. The thing is, it's a process. I mean, learning is a process. And, and yes, we go to the seminars, we read the books, we read the articles, we go online. <laughs> but mostly, I tell you, I learned so much from my kids when yeah. I was, you know, I'm not doing a lot of therapy right now, but I learned so much. If you keep your eyes and ears and brain open, you know, we learn from them as to what to do, what not to do, but mostly why. Right. And, you know, it, I have found that in, in diagnostics as well as therapy. You know, if you really pay attention, usually the client tells you what is wrong and and i found that every patient and their parent has they really have a handle on a lot of the things that are going on if we listen carefully now they don't use the words that we do but they use their words and if you take the time to really listen to it they are a lot more in tune with what is wrong and how it's affecting them then you know, and it can really improve your therapy. I've found they also 
it once they give you those keys. And if you are uh, astute and, and listening to their um, their real story as to what's going on, your therapy will be better. You have better ideas and, and planning, and you know they will also trust you in doing what's necessary in the future. Um, I was trying to think about, there were some questions um, when you're planning therapy that might be, you know, related to this. I think that we wanted to always, and I always find this in the young therapists that I'm trying to mentor when I'm trying to get them, them to feel more comfortable, um, one of the things they'll tell me is that they know how to give the test and they know how to score and they can get that that number, but they're just not comfortable as to planning the course therapy. And one of the things that I found, and this relates a lot back to voice, I I always go back afterwards and I sit and ponder and looking at all the data and I'll ask, you know, what is the cause of this disorder? And is that cause still there? And do they need to modify that or eliminate a particular cause or factor? And then what's the underlying physiological uh, issue associated with that? Like the relationship to the subsystems, like the voice, the respiration, phonation, or, or resonance. And then how are the subsystems, you know, um, interrelated for the presence of that disorder. Um, that's one way of looking at it. And as I've mentioned, the last thing that I have been most recently studying has been orofacial um, kinds of things. And and this is my big aha moment, Shar. I'm going to share it with you right now. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I, this, this, is, this is my big thing right now. And I'm hoping that some other therapist will come in and help me sort this out. But I've found that they're, the biggest thing is to understand the primary function of things. And, and I, it, it, was, it just came to me one day. You know, I know that we're born and the heart just beats. We don't have to think about it. We don't teach it. It's a primary function to live. Right. And. I, there's the primary function of breathing. I don't teach myself. I just breathe. And and I have that mechanism and there's things there that work together right? and, and they just work. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. And I, I swallow, you know, it just swallows. I, I'm not teaching that. Yes. We have the beginning part of the swallow that we can teach and alter and stuff, but a primary function is just swallowing to, to live, swallowing your food, swallowing your saliva, breathing for air, heartbeat, brain function, that kind of thing. Those are primary. Our mechanism, the human condition, you know, all animals have those primary functions, but we were so smart <laughs> that we took those primary functions and we taught our function that our mechanisms to do secondary features such as speech. And it's so it's an overlaid function. We taught ourselves to voice. We taught ourselves to make facial expressions. We taught ourselves to smile, to grin, to, to make different um, other communication systems. So we're dealing really most of the time with the secondary features. Those are overlaid features, but what we're missing in our therapy, 
I think, is to look at the primary functions. We need to make sure that all the primary functions are in order and functioning. And then we can teach to the secondary or the overlaid functions much easier. Okay. And and I'm thinking that is important, and I'm hoping that that's not just a random thought that came to me. I think it, it had to be that after going through all these different specialty areas and belonging to all the different SIGs and getting to know all these really smart people who know all this, suddenly I was able to think, this is what they've been trying, all the different parts have been trying to teach me all along. Yes. That we we need to look at our primary function and then our secondary and overlaid functions and we'll be much more efficient and more effective as therapists. I, I just think it's, I think it's coming together. I, I, I only need another well, 60 years to be able to really get good at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you know I love that concept and I, and that does kind of segment what we're all about as far as the oral mechanism because that overlaid piece there's like no specific mouth part whose primary function is to produce, produce speech. You have all of these other little primaries that contribute to it. Exactly. And so you're, yes. And so you look at those parts and pieces as, the, as they relate to the big overlaid functions that we work with. And I think that is what oral facial myology does, most importantly in spades, is that they look at those pieces. And then you look at the swallowing overlaid piece. You look at the speaking. You look at the, at the chewing. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of looking at a person. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing this young man with us. And it's just thrilling what has happened to him, and that you got to be a part of his life. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm hoping that somebody picks up on this audio, on this podcast, this pod course, and kind of recognizes that within somebody that they're working with. And that would just be absolutely wonderful. So, you know, I might even have to have you come back here, Patty. Would you come back? I would. I Thank you. It's been an honor and uh, an honor to be part of the podcast, but also an honor to be part of this young man's life. And hopefully maybe one or two therapists out there will be listening and it will give you a new idea. Some insights. Exactly. All right, Patty. Thank you so much. I certainly appreciate you and all that you do. Take care. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Hey, Busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.